That's right, they're playing video games for money. And I'm definitely not going to let uh, Mass Effect in my house. The level of violence on video games. It might be hazardous to physical and mental health. Pokemon world is a world of the demonic. Then there's the argument that video games can be art. They're a world phenomenon. Welcome to Hit Point Pals, where we gather once a week to talk about the games we're playing and dive into some of the big picture ideas going on in the gaming and pop culture world. This is episode 16, and this week, Detective Pikachu. He's fuzzy, he's adorable, but can he finally accomplish what others have failed and make a good video game movie? Crunch culture. Week after week, we hear new reports on the poor labor conditions in the games industry, but have yet to see any real change. Who's responsible for making sure game developers have rights, and what can players do better in response to these stories? We'll recap the games we've been playing this week, including Imperator Rome and Ghost Recon Wildlands and Spider-Man. Didn't know that last one was there, so I have two <laughs> hands in that sentence, <laughs> but it's all good. And to close, we'll look back on how the collective internet lost their minds last week as Game of Thrones fan culture hit peak Game of Thrones fan culture. But first, I'm your host, first of his name, Will Suit. And with me today is Rebecca Markley. Hello. And our producer, Mr. Travis Lean. Last of my name. <laughs> All right. Damn, that's sad. Uh, it is a little bit. Damn, this is yeah. so sad. Can we talk about Detective Pikachu? I I forgot to ask Rebecca if she saw Detective Pikachu. Oh, Rebecca, have you I seen didn't. Detective? I did not. Oh, no. I was I, I planned on, but it didn't happen. Because my job was really demanding this week. Well, let me ask you this. Are you excited about Detective Pikachu? Um, not particularly. I feel like I just wanted to watch it because, like, he's fuzzy and adorable. <laughs> That's why I <laughs> <Yeah>. went. <laughs> but I don't care if you're going to talk about spoilers. Okay, I thought maybe we would be, like, spoiler light. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I know when we had our discussion, you said that uh, very bad, very bad. Um, I, I was a, I was a bit harsh. I well, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna let you go first. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I won't say that the movie wasn't bad. I think what I went into, it's kind of like, oh man, I'm gonna eat some junk food, and then you're like, wow, this isn't very good. But like, <laughs> so I kind of, I don't know. I kind of got what I expected it would be. It would be Pikachu doing. Deadpool or Ryan Reynolds as Pikachu just doing his Deadpool routine again. Um, I, I don't know. It was really fun to see little Pokemon characters and see all the, these classic little, little Pokemon things because I really liked those games as a kid. That's about it. I really I wasn't too gripped by the drama in the story. <laughs> well, I've heard it's I've heard so many people talk about how they really liked the story and how many like twists and turns there were. I, I think maybe it's not so much the number of twists that would bother me. I think it's just <laughs> like the sheer, I don't know, like they just happen so quickly in like the last third of the movie. It's absurd. There are like f three or four twists real quickly in like the climax of the film. And it's just, it, it reaches this point where it's like, oh, I don't even, what's even happening anymore? Okay. How, like, how would you describe this movie? A boy's dad goes missing and Pikachu shows up and he helps the kid. <laughs> but like, what is so what should someone expect going into this movie? You should expect uh, Ryan Reynolds doing his Deadpool kind of smarmy little character routine as Pikachu. And he's a detective. 
I, I genuinely don't know what you would expect going into see a detective Pikachu movie. <laughs> I think the title, and like the fact that he's a Pokemon, kind of like, I think that should paint an image in your head. You're not going to be seeing like, I don't know, some sort of like high art film here or emotional drama. You're going to be getting Pikachu kind of being a detective. So because of the source material and how it's like it's goofy and it's aimed at kids and it's about made up wacky creatures yeah like does that give the movie more leeway to kind of be not super solid in a lot of areas that you'd usually expect a hollywood movie to be when you say solid what do you mean i mean okay so some of the impressions i got from within the first five or so minutes of the movie Mm -hmm. were like Man, the acting is really unconvincing. Mm-hmm. And to me, like, I'm very easily tricked by bad acting. Like, I don't usually notice bad acting, but in this movie, I felt like it was just not working for me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And that, along with kind of the, like, I'm very iffy on the story, and these two things together kind of made me feel like I was watching somebody's Pokemon, like, YouTube short film. But with like a multi-million dollar special effects budget that made it very visually appealing. But I felt like the story just wasn't working for me and the characters, especially when they start introducing like this journalist and she's like, I'm a journalist. I'm here for the scoop. I'm going to get the scoop. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, to say that like, oh, it's a kid's film. So of course it's going to be like, it's aimed at kids. So of course it's going to be shitty. It's like, it's not really much of an argument. So I, yeah, no. Is it it though? Is it a kid's film? No. Well, maybe. There were a lot I of had kids such when a I hard went to see time. it. Like, one, of the thoughts that, one of the thoughts I remember going through my head was, who is the audience for this movie? Because there's a lot of kids in the theater, but there's also a lot of like slightly mature stuff going on in this movie. And I think some of it is like like hidden jokes that are there for the parents. But I swear yeah. I heard Pikachu say some like pretty obscene things at oh, one point. Yeah, you know, you you don't need to swear that you heard it. He he said them. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember what hearing What did he that. say? There was a part where he's talking about people like trying to pet Pikachu's complaining about people always wanting to try and like pet and scratch him because he's a little fuzzy critter. And then he uh-huh. says, Yeah, they're always prodding me, poking me, they're always fingering me. And he says it in a way oh. he says it in a way where it's like, okay, I know what you're getting at. <laughs> At least to me, maybe I'm maybe I'm just fucked up. But I swear, <laughs> the way he says it is like, hmm. Well, no, because hmm. there's several moments like that. I think, and some of them are just like in the way Ryan Reynolds says things. It's like, oh, this is like a sexual take on this line that didn't have to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I found the like the way that they laid out the world was really neat, and there were certain elements like the the first scene that really got my attention and made me kind of start thinking about this society was when they introduced the concept of like an underground pokemon fighting ring Mm -hmm. and at that point i just kind of started to zone out and think about how much i wanted to see a movie that was about this instead (laughs) but then that wouldn't be detective pikachu no you're right i'm just saying like it was very clear to me that with this sort of effects budget and all the work and care that went into making the pokemon uh, appear the way they do on the screen yeah you could really easily make a much better film than this if you had people put more thought into like the writing and and the plot mm-hmm. and it doesn't i mean i'm not saying like it needs to be a, a hardcore mature film about cinderella Pikachu or something <laughs> i'm just saying that like they set up a lot of really good 
elements in the world that I felt like would probably have uh, been served better in a different film that wasn't this one. Because this film kind of went all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think my biggest complaint I have with this movie is like, I think the plot, like the, the, the whole, yeah, I think the plot towards the end, it, it just keeps ramping up to a point where it's, I just think it's a little too, not so much incoherent because I understand what happened, but I just think it makes too many, a few too many twists in close succession that they don't really lead into one after they don't really lead into the next or anything. Mm -hmm. They don't really change what's going on in the situation or our understanding of it very much. I think there's like one or maybe two twists that do, but I, I feel the plot was just like a bit much for a movie about a little Pikachu who's a detective. Right. It's almost like, <laughs> I don't know. It just it's almost like makes me giggle. This just is... thinking about Pikachu as a detective. Yeah, it's great. I love that. Like, it's just, oh, yeah. What a nice yeah, little critter. He's he's got his hat and I oh I, I really liked how he would just kind of ride around on Tim's shoulder. Yeah. He would just kind of sit up there because, you know, got little legs. But it almost feels like in the writer's room somebody said like a requirement of this movie in like twenty nineteen culture is that we need to have a big plot twist and like three people raised their hands and they were all good ideas and they couldn't pick one. So they just put them all in, and it's just like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, I don't know. I found myself wanting more, but I'm also very, like, very picky about my movies, and I, I feel, I, I feel like uh, there were so many very positive reviews of this film, and I'm, I like, I feel like I'm, I'm, I want to be glad that people liked Detective Pikachu, <laughs> but also part of me feels like all of these people were like gaslighted by cute Pokemon and like just said, oh, this. This looks nice. I love this movie. Wow, this is this is nice. <laughs> like, um, I don't know. I mean, I I sometimes feel that way with certain other movies where it's like I don't get it, but I think it's because other people have like fully bought into a lot of the stuff related to it, mm -hmm. and it's just like, oh, I don't. Are you people? Can you guys like? I don't know. I feel like sometimes I, you know, yeah, people need to step back and actually look at what they're watching and go, hmm, you know, just think about it. Yeah, especially since it's the first like. I mean, I know there's animated Pokemon movies, but it's yeah. like it's the first Hollywood Pokemon movie, um, and uh, I I was trying to kind of look at it from the perspective of like maybe someone who's very unfamiliar with Pokemon, which is almost me. But yeah. like I've played enough of Pokemon games to like have a but like if you if you had never like seen a Pokemon <laughs> like in any context, like how, would this movie make any sense? Because I. I think it, it does a, an okay job of setting up the world at the beginning, but it also makes it clear that this city uh, that's featured in this movie is not the norm in the world of Pokemon, which kind of leaves you wondering, like, well, okay, well, what the heck does the rest of the world in this movie look like outside of this city? Mm -hmm. Because this is the city where, like, this entrepreneur guy built the city, he says, like, five years ago, and it's, like, already a megalopolis, but that's besides the point. But they, they say he built it for, like, humans and Pokemons to live and work together in harmony, whereas in the rest of the world, Pokemon are enslaved. Like, because that, that's what you normally think of Pokemon, right? You capture a Pokemon, and yeah. they're in the ball, and you make them fight. And that's not the case in, in this movie, but they also tell you in the beginning that this is just, like, one city... In the it's a it's a weird setup to me. I think it's all right, but like I'm also someone who like maybe puts too much thought into into world building type 
questions. So maybe that's just me. It might also be because like, out. if you try and think about the world of Pokemon, even in the games, they don't really make any sense, like fundamentally. Yeah. I think the problem this movie has is it like, I feel the, 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 they set up all these qualifications for why this city exists, and I don't think they need to really. Yeah, that's, it's just that's like, another wh- good why, point. Why it's... are you putting these thoughts in my head that don't, <laughs> that don't matter? Why? Yeah, because if you what tell me that this is not like the rest of the world, then I'm going to be thinking about that for most of the movie, where you could have just not told me anything, and I would have just bought into the concept wholeheartedly. Yeah, I would have been like, it's, oh, it's a, it's a big city. Yeah, of course there's going to be a lot of people in Pokemon here. Yeah. I, I was thinking I, more about the whole, like, to the target audiences. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I heard that it was, like, really popular among millennials, which I feel like doesn't really tell us anything. Because um, what are millennials? Yeah, because, yeah. like, what are millennials? People who like, grew it's up anyone with Pokemon? who's not like... Gen X or a baby boomer. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I feel like it is geared towards, like, a younger audience, and then probably people who just were, like, grew up playing Pokemon because, you know, nostalgia. Yeah, like, does a kid who was born 10 years ago care about Detective Pikachu? I would think so. I guess, I don't know. I mean, they still come out with those games, like, it seems like yearly, Mm -hmm. and they're still aimed at, like, the same demographic they've always kind of been aimed at, which is, like, really young, and that was about the age I would have been, like, really into Pokemon on my, like, Game Boy. So I feel like, yeah. My brother, who is an 18-year-old, plays Pokemon. Hell yeah. Um, I don't don't know if he would be interested in Detective Pikachu. I guess I could ask him, but, um, yeah, I just, like, hmm. And I guess if it, I also was thinking of just like other children's movies, like I saw like Zootopia not too long ago, mm-hmm. where like, you know, everything was just like really like over the top because it was like a kid's movie. And I wonder if that's just like how, I wonder if like, it's actually real to have like sort of like this bad acting and like over the topness. Is it like a requirement for children's movies See, or I is that just sort of like. I think it's more, I think it's easier for me to say the movie has bad acting because it's a live action movie. Or uh-huh. I could I would never say that about Zootopia because I'm not watching real people. That's like, true. That's true. I think and... another thing though is like you've got like kids movies like I don't know like older ones like uh, Five like an American Tale about that little mouse. Mm-hmm. That movie's not bad. It's it's like it's well put together, okay acting, but it's and it's like it's a pretty solid movie, but. I don't think anyone would look at it and go, well, it's got all these bad things, but that's okay because it's a kid's movie. Like, Right. That's another animated movie. Yeah. Or like uh, Land Before Time. Like, those are quality films, but they are aimed at children. Mm -hmm. Like, movies aimed at kids don't have to be, like, bad. Right. I remember when we went and saw the Power Rangers movie a few years ago, whenever that came out. And I kind of felt the same way. Like, here's some very big budget Power Rangers action, but there was not enough done to make this, like, a solid live action movie. Yeah. The only people I heard who, like, liked that movie were a lot of, like, people who liked Power Rangers, and it was like, okay. Right. All right, that's not most of us. (laughs) But, like, I don't know, a movie should be able to stand on its own without having to have, like, the franchise carry it. Like, I wish I had seen a fantastic Power Rangers movie, but that just wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you do see Detective Pikachu, I guess, let us know what oh, you wait, thought of it. No, hold on. One what? more thing. Oh. So, 
in that film, this is a spoiler, Rebecca, if you don't want to. Nah, it's fine. Okay. He's shown up in the trailer material, but Mewtwo is in this movie. He's like, yeah, he's huge in like older Pokemon stuff when like Mm -hmm. Team Rocket was trying to use him. But Team Rocket's not in this movie. So Mewtwo has been captured because he's like this ancient Pokemon. I well, no, he's made out of Mew. He's created or something out of Mew. I can't remember. But they say he's like the most powerful or something yet. Mm hmm. Later, we get a shot with that big um, CEO in his office when he lies to the main character, Tim. Mm-hmm. And behind him are statues of two legendary Pokemon from later games, which I think are even more powerful. Oh, I didn't notice that. And I was I'm, just, not, I'm probably less familiar with Pokemon I, than I you, I remember I seeing those. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not too... I don't really know too much about Pokemon, but I saw that and I was like, well, wait a minute. I know Mewtwo was like huge back in like I don't know, early 2000s, but is he still now? They're evidently acknowledging later big Pokemon. So what's going on with that? But I think that's just another thing where it's like, don't don't think about that. Right. And my yeah. knowledge of Mewtwo <laughs> was basically like his, his floaty boy and he has telekinesis. Yeah. She plays a. And he's I'm pretty sure she shows up in the big credits. Thought, in the community, Who? I don't know. I didn't yeah. know. Is it like about who did she play? Uh, yeah, I just. Uh, the, I don't know. That was in the trailer. Like everyone lost side. their minds. She plays the. Um, like, oh, uh, I guess I better lose my mind as well. Scientist at the oh, um, like lab, hollow recordings. Who for some reason give dumps exposition at the workplace. Really? Yeah, I remember that was the part of the movie. That's the part of the movie I actually. I, I, the twists in the last what? third get so annoying to me, but no, that part in the lab to me was like the funniest because Oh, I remember that. Yeah. But I don't think any kid would question like Yeah, the like city you were saying with the Pokemon setup of the city, I think there's the a lot of moments where the movie tries to explain things, things to you dumping that it doesn't like, need to. Uh, this is the CEO. But then I have to he wonder, like, is that also part of it disease. being a kid's he movie? Like, do some stuff. He built a city in five years. Look at all these people working together. Unlike other places where humans and Pokemon don't do this, apparently, but they also capture them elsewhere, whatever that means. And it's like, that is just so much for a kid. Whereas if you just get rid of that, you're left. The movie is the same. But you don't have this absurd dump that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. But see, if they didn't say that, like here they live together and elsewhere they don't, I, I don't wouldn't maybe assume it's people to, like, are get all you mass, to... like abusing their Pokemon and care about the city stuff. and like oh I they're doing like a good job. A like, look at all these like good the people because they're not, you know, where it's like oh they're not supposed to fight. It's supposed to be working together, but Pokemon? in this underground ring, like... there's like fighting and that's like illegal. And I feel like there there was probably a better way to do that rather than like this big dump at the beginning that serves to introduce a big character but also provides a lot of stuff for the world that i don't think really matters same with like yeah that research base when the scientist is talking about mewtwo and the processes i think some of that was just like who does this (laughs) like walks around their work and like narrates things that they are doing and big things that have happened that everyone else they're working with would already know about it was like, oh wow, this is what a what a dump of exposition. Oh my god, so much. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know when I walk around in my workplace, I just loudly announce what I'm doing and why. Wait, okay, last question before we before we move on. Did Tim kill Mr. Mime? Yes, they bur they f imaginarily burnt him alive. But so is he dead or is he imaginary dead? He's imaginary dead. What does that mean? Because he's Mr. Mime, so he's like miming out these things that as if they are kind of there. But, but do evidently they really they're not affect him? Maybe. Oh my god, I don't get it. It's Pokemon. That's like asking, like, oh, but Ghastly, you know, he did some like psychic wave shit. Did it, did it actually ruin this guy's mind? Did Psyduck actually commit murder? It's like, no. Or maybe he did. Who knows? It's a Pokemon. Is yeah. Pikachu a muskrat that's yellow? I don't know. He's not. He's a Pikachu. Oh, no. Okay. That's fair. And Doctor Strange, is he actually a, a, a magician? Is he real? Oh, it's a movie? I don't get it. Well, he, he really, he was really a doctor. Yeah. Oh, I did want to ask you, too, how um, you feel about the sequel that's supposed to be in production right now. I'm so far behind on the Marvel movies, because I think they're just, like, the same thing oh, over and over again. Oh, I meant about Detective Pikachu. Oh, Detective Pikachu? A <laughs> sequel? Well, I yes. don't really... I, I guess I'll feel the same way about the Marvel movies. Like, I don't have any interest in a sequel. I don't think there needs to be a sequel. Also, I, this movie ends in a way where I'm like, why? How is there a sequel? Yeah, I don't really. I mean, I, I, I yeah, I have no interest in a sequel. I, I'm OK with this. movie. I have interest I have no in interest another in, in another Pokemon movie, but not yeah. another Detective Pikachu Pokemon movie. Maybe they will sort of use the exposition about the city and the world as like the the fuel for the se for the sequel but as see like the okay the ending of this movie makes the whole concept of like like the sequel of a detective pikachu i don't know the, the sequel would have to be very different because of like the big thing at the end right and i'll just have to wait to find out yeah you have to, you have to go see detective pikachu winner of awards at the con film festival really no i don't oh. think so i'm almost <laughs> certain it didn't all right. Should we talk about video games? <laughs> oh, hell yeah. We can talk about some of that Captain Crunch. I love Captain Crunch. But I'll tell you what kind of crunch we don't love. <laughs> the crunch of employees being forced to work like absurd hours each week to finish games and to provide content for live service games. Yeah, that yeah. Sucks. so live service games were not a thing until I, I don't even have a good sense of time anymore. Yeah. But I feel like these this started to emerge with like Fortnite, I want to say. Unless can you go back a little further, maybe? I don't know. I still don't even understand quite what a live service game is. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not I don't really know. I always thought MMOs were live service games. Y yeah. But then it's like we're talking about live service games as a sort of though they're like a different thing. They're games that don't do monthly payments. And I'm still not very clear on. I think there's a really big difference in the culture and the way people expect developers to churn out content between mm -hmm. an MMO and a competitive multiplayer game. So your Fortnite, your Apex Legends. Um, so is it like where with MMOs they expect like 
some updates, but usually like a big expansion that has a lot of content. Whereas for See, a lot that's of these... the thing about the culture with MMOs is I never hear people complaining about MMOs, really. Um, it, I, I hear like there's a new expansion for this MMO and it's like, oh, this is neat. I'm excited about this. But I never hear people going as 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 hard as they are with multiplayer games where it's like, erg, it's unbalanced. You need to fix this gun. Yeah. Oh, the, the devs are garbage. I won't I won't pay them any money because this one thing ruins my competitive experience in the game and th i i feel like that's a part of like this really toxic competitive games culture that then kind of feeds back into the developers at some point and kind of makes this loop where like players are really angry so they put pressure on the developers to make changes and the developers end up having the same pressure put on them by, like, their publishers, mm -hmm. who are like, you need to keep people happy and keep people, like, buying the game and stuff. And they want developers to put out more, they want their developers to put out, like, big updates and stuff that they can sell more copies with or get more people to come in and, and buy in-game purchases or, it, what, what the hell is it called? In, microtransactions. Yeah, in, yeah, micro I lost... I lost the concept of microtransactions. Um, there was a there was a news story today where um, CD uh, a, a person representing CD Projekt Red had reached out to. Uh, this is a story that requires explaining some of the like <laughs> some of the past stories. So Jason Schreier is a pretty well known uh, games reporter who, over the past few months, has put out several in-depth stories about different companies uh bioware and the development of anthem as well as dragon age 4 and he ha he in his stories he must have a lot of connections because he's able to talk to uh, all these anonymous um developers who dish out all the dirt on like the shit that their employer is putting them through and how people work absurd amounts of hours they don't have uh vacation time they uh see a lot of their colleagues like fall due to stress or like drop out or of projects or like end up in really bad mental situations and it sounded like some people from CD Project Red had gotten in touch with Jason Schreier to say like we've read your stories and like the same things happening over here and we want to talk about that and i feel like somehow CD Project Red like got wind of that because they it feels like they reached out to him preemptively to try to like to, to try to like say that they are aware of the problems with uh, crunch culture and that they want to make it clear that they're trying to do their best to not put their employees through that with Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, while The Witcher 3, they were known for crunch on that. I mean, I feel like I don't believe that that is... Like, what are they going to do to prevent that? You know, I feel like they're, right. they're not like offering any solutions. They're just like, oh, yeah, we're going to be we're going to be nicer to our employees. Like, what does that mean? Like, how are you going to pre prevent this sort of like toxic environment from developing? Because from like what it sounds like, it's just sort of like feedback from the players, you know, and now we have like a lot more. We have like social media where, you know, you can just like literally scream directly at people like individually yeah um, yeah i so think like, like there's a there's a lot to unpack but i think it's pretty similar across both the single player space which would be cd project red 
uh, with Cyberpunk 2077 and The Witcher 3, and then the multiplayer space with like Fortnite and Fortnite's endless crunch was was the story a couple weeks back because they don't mm-hmm. they're not crunching to ship a project they're crunching nonstop because their product is not a single player game that has a launch it's an ongoing multiplayer game that is expected to churn out new content every couple weeks um and so like before the Fortnite story the big uh, in many ways the big like idea about crunch was like rockstar was under fire for how much crunch they they put on their employees to get uh red dead redemption 2 shipped and that's just a single player game so this kind of puts it in a new perspective like this is also happening at like epic games where they're they're constantly working on maintaining an already launched project and it's like there's no end to the crunch here because mm-hmm. it's just like it's built into like the business model that they must always be like putting out new content yeah and that's what you were saying about like i just feel like the 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 culture and the way what players are expecting from developers has just gotten so like toxic in the multiplayer space and i i like i don't hear that talked about enough like like there's always been somewhat of a like a tumultuous relationship between gamers and developers you know like you Mm -hmm. shipped a bad game i don't like the game it's like you could have done this better blah 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 and that's like that's all well and good because like games like criticism of games is like a very fundamental thing to to the to the medium but in the uh in in the space of multiplayer games i see it treated quite a bit differently where like for example um i used i had to unfollow some some websites that were like they they brand themselves as like esports websites um but a lot of the content that they're publishing is like these are the patch notes for for Fortnite here's what they did this week and here's what we don't like about it and to me that just kind of fuels the fire of these players who are constantly asking for like like in Overwatch for instance there's been a long sitting meta of 3-3 comp where players and competitive players have for a long time been like blizzard you're like you're not balancing this it's been a problem for a long time and i think that's fair to a certain extent especially with how long it's gone on but then i've seen that like that same mentality extend to to so many other things that just seem way more minor like here's a gun in fortnite that i really don't like you guys suck and you need to like work around the clock to fix it or i'm gonna be very unhappy and shout about it on twitter it's interesting looking at like how different companies approach like updating and changing their games because like apex legends that, that game you know a battle royale came out for free and it was huge and then like just last month and now i've been seeing articles and like people make videos about Apex Legends is dead, and it all pretty much boils down to where are the updates? And it's like it has nothing to do about the content of the game. It's just people are mad because it's where's the new content? Where's yeah, the new I see. Stuff? I the see the same like, kind oh. of attitude leak into like even single player games on Steam. Right? Mm-hmm. Is like, yeah. man, it's like you see, like a game will get like not review bombed, but a game will get a bunch of negative reviews that are like game's dead. Because, like, they shipped the single-player game, and then they, like, didn't put out any new content for it. So it's like, the game's dead, don't bother with it. And I don't get that. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I, I don't it seems, get it. Yeah, I feel like it, sort of, like, my gut reaction is that it seems, like, really entitled of the players to be, like, like, we are owed this, 
this sort of like content, you know, that like takes a lot of time and effort, um, like on behalf of like the developers to like put out. And I don't know, I feel like also kind of like going back to a little bit what you were saying about people commenting and like having opinions about the patch notes, because I feel like that's what you can monetize on the internet is like your opinion and your personality, right? So I feel like mm -hmm. that's probably why these sort of like websites can do that because it gets clicks, people are interested in like what other people are thinking. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess it feels like, I, I guess that makes sense from the standpoint of like media companies. And, and I mean, so maybe that's just sort of like because every other media company is doing that, like it's sort of like seeping into kind of like the player's expectation and they sort of like feed off of each other. It's kind of like with uh, a lot of those commentary YouTube channels that are, they talk about like, oh, gaming news, or there's a certain one that says making gaming or like reporting on gaming news. He says something like on his Patreon, making gaming news or something. And it's like, no, you're not. You're just reading articles that are already written by other people. But it's just this culture of like rage over like yeah. everything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what on earth is a developer supposed to do? Like, see, I don't okay, know anymore. They make a change. Everybody gets mad. And then the developers are like, oh, well, shit. Well, we need to listen to our player base. So if they do that, then the players are happy. But maybe that change that was for the better doesn't happen. And if the developer is, like, is pretty sure, no, this change is necessary and goes through it, goes through with it and doesn't go back on it, then players are mad because the developer isn't listening to the community. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a no win situation. Like, what is a developer supposed to do? I feel like it, it, part of the multiplayer, and this is just my theory, I think, but kind of part of the multiplayer games, like, balancing rage is, I think, due to the fact that I think a lot of people view playing multiplayer games as not so much like, like, when I, if I, I haven't touched it in a while, but, like, if, when I jump in, like, Overwatch, or if I jump in even, like, uh, the second one's a bad example, but if I jump in Overwatch, it's like, I'm just there to see how well i can do uh -huh. right and like have a little bit of fun but i think for other for a lot of other people it's like i want to get my sr to the top and i want to like find a way into the professional competitive space whether it's with like a contender's team or like becoming an actual pro mm -hmm. and like when i was part of like the h1z1 community there were a lot of people within like circles i knew who like that was their goal right like they would like they they would go home after work and they would grind for hours and hours because they're trying to get onto a professional team, and so I think that's what fuels a lot of the. I I think maybe that's that's the reason for for some of the for some of the anger. Like I'm I'm trying my best to get onto a competitive team, and I feel like the developers are directly impeding me by by leaving the game in like an unbalanced state or like in their opinion, right? Like mm -hmm. this, this thing feels very unbalanced and I could do a lot better if the developer would just fix this one thing and they're not doing it. Hmm. That's interesting. And that, okay. So I, I think it's like a, hmm. it's, it's a weird like extension of, of esports culture that's where it. like about that. there's websites huh. like, like this is a, there's a garbage website called Dexerto. And I kind of think <laughs> of them as like, the National Enquirer of Gaming News, where they kind of they list themselves as like an esports news outlet, but really what it is is like it's like here here's breaking news: Fortnite launched a new patch, right? Or he, like here's some drama that's happening 
on like behind the scenes at the Overwatch League with like this player or something, as well as like here's some drama happening on YouTube, right? Because they want to cover all their bases. So yeah. I don't follow them anymore, but like I th- I think it's part of the this extension of of esports culture where there's a lot of good reporting you can do on esports culture and like like the one website that I know of that like brands itself as an esports website and actually does good reporting is ESPN esports which like obviously ESPN has world class journalists working for them but then there's so many other places like dot esports where it's like we're an esports news website and you go on and it's like no you're not like ESPN is doing like really in-depth profiles on like the players what's going on with like big business moves in the industry uh how players are like handling uh, mental stress and other, a lot of the other things that come with like being such a public figure in these uh, in these big like spaces where people root for these big teams like Cloud9 and Echo Fox and such and then there's other places like Dot Esports that are just kind of like Fortnite or like Epic hasn't fixed this thing in Fortnite yet and here are what the players are angry about because I feel like people casually playing like Fortnite whether they're trying to become competitive or not isn't esports news it's just kind of reporting on a, a tool that is part of the esports scene of Fortnite, which is kind of like if you reported on what your local like high school football team is angry about instead of like the NFL. I think when you started mentioning like a lot of people wanting to go pro and being mad about a lot of changes because they believe that they could do better if this the certain thing was changed. And since you've got thousands of people doing that, every, everything is just like not a good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very interesting to me because the only kind of esports scene I've ever kind of really been even remotely kind of aware of and I've ever played like a little bit of is Counter Strike, which yeah. has had a competitive scene since like I guess like the late nineties. And it's interesting that you mentioned like people wanting to go pro and getting mad about changes because a lot of that Counter Strike stuff was from the time before esports were really big as they are now. Yeah. So back then it was just a lot of people on like TeamSpeak organizing like little clans and fighting so no one was really good but like the competitive scene was just like small teams of people so are you saying this is a scene that wasn't super toxic about like anger fueled at the developers about balancing i don't think so i know i mean not saying it wasn't toxic i can no i'm just trying to narrow down that's what you're saying yeah towards the developers i i can't remember too much of that even now i don't hear a lot of people in the counter-strike community getting like as mad as people in overwatch or Fortnite do but that's also probably because your big streamers aren't playing counter-strike mm-hmm. there's not a lot of revenue there in streaming as far as i know and there is still a big competitive scene but it's still it's as far as i know it's not as big as like overwatches and Fortnites seem to be um it's just this really long i don't know it's it's curious because i feel people playing at least playing counter-strike when i used to play it you weren't trying to get onto like a big professional team that would make money and be famous because there weren't a lot of those right instead you were just playing because you were part of a clan and you wanted to do better and i feel there's a big motivation difference there between like oh a patch has changed something oh well you know i'm playing in my clan and we're doing a little we're organizing little tournaments and things on forums as opposed to what the fuck now I'll never make it into the Dallas this or whatever. Oh no, they're ruining my chances. I I just I don't remember hearing any of this kind of like super toxicity towards developers in the Counter-Strike community. 
I can think of, yeah, some people will be upset about a certain change, but I can't think of it being like as severe as what I've heard for like Overwatch, especially Overwatch. Yeah. And I mean, like Fortnite now has tournaments with like million dollar prize pools, right? Yeah. Or like hundred million dollar prize pools, I guess. Uh, and I do see a lot of anger around Fortnite. And then there's also Apex Legends where... That, see, that one is harder for me to pin down mm-hmm. because the Apex Legends comp scene is is pretty non-existent as yeah. of yet. And there's still a lot of people who are like, see, I don't know that it's the same type of anger. I think it's more like a loss of interest is what yeah. it seems like just because there haven't been. And that's also that, that's a big question to me, too, because it seemed like Apex Legends didn't have any major specific issues that people were like, this is unbalanced. It's just like people need new, like just content, period, right? Like people yeah. need things to change or they're going to walk away from the game. And I think, like, obviously the publishers know this and they put pressure on the developers to keep putting out new content. So some of it, I guess, would be uh, in the means of balancing. But I think, from like a business perspective, most of it is probably for keeping people's attention and keeping the player count high Mm -hmm. how many people are playing these games like i'm just trying to like imagine like a a different example of like people being like so frustrated in like i don't know not esports i know counter-strike global offensive the the, the current iteration of counter-strike it gets like 360,000 people play it in like a month or, or something like that. I can't remember how, how it goes, but it's a lot of people play it. This it's is from of... March. Uh, Fortnite apparently has 250 million registered players, and they get peak concurrent players of around 10 million. Wait. No, that's a bad number. That's, um, that's a peak that happened during the Marshmallow concert. <laughs> I don't oh. know what the average concurrent is. I, is I, I was I wrong say. about per month i think that might have been unique identities but um like just in uh, like the 16th of may counter-strike global offensive had four hundred and eighty thousand people playing and then on the 15th it had five hundred thousand people playing so like about four hundred and eighty thousand a day right now it seems which is like i don't know that's a lot of people playing counter-strike but also that's a lot smaller than the number that travis provided if if that number like you said is right like so maybe that's another reason like counter-strike's community isn't as big Mm -hmm. so there's not as much like people there's not as many people to like fume about a change up to a pistol or like a price i wonder like i wonder how many of those people are just sort of like playing like you travis you know just to see like how good you can do (laughs) or if they're like really trying to be competitive yeah i don't know it'd be interesting to see like a breakdown if someone were to do a, a widespread survey on that i'd like to know that number I feel like that would give me more insight into why people are so angry. Yeah, because I, mean, I know like there's, you know, plenty of drama, you know, like in sports club teams, you know. Mm. And so I'm just like trying to think of like a like an analogy or like a, a similar sort of example. I don't know. See, I've tried to I've tried to compare esports to traditional sports in the past. Mm-hmm. But like if so if you were to look at if you were this doesn't work super well because if you're to look at like overwatch right so you've got professional players on 12 pro teams playing overwatch 
And then if you look at the NFL, where you have 50 pro teams playing, people mm-hmm. in pe- the general public, like, they can be mad about rules in the NFL, but they're also not directly affected by rules in the NFL if they were to, like, go out and play football in their backyard. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Whereas people playing Overwatch are directly affected by w- the changes Blizzard is rolling out in the game because they're playing the same exact game as the players on the stage. Yeah. And so there's like a collective like mob mentality, I think, mm-hmm. that arises from that in a way that doesn't exist at all. It, like that's a non-existent factor in traditional sports. I don't like there's... I don't know, like, the internet allows the mob mentality to, you know, like, really flourish, even outside of the game, you know? I also think there's just, like, a very general lack of understanding about the amount of work that people have to do to put out a game. Let alone a patch. Let alone a patch, <laughs> yeah. right. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say about that. That's kind of the end of that statement. <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, people. a lot of people seem to expect like oh well it's easy to uh, just fix this make it the way it was and it's like they can't just go open a txt and do update change update one to update zero like it's it's not that easy it also really like makes me frustrated and mad that like the developers have to like work like 70 hours a week without overtime because they're you know independent contractors and have no employee rights and I think a lot of it is also like, like a lot of it definitely is directly enforced by, you know, the people higher up than them. But I think there's also like the culture around them with their coworkers also directly contributes to that. Mm-hmm. Where like they get, they, they come aboard a team and the team is like already bought into the crunch culture. Yeah. And like there's a lot of people maybe who are like very passionate about their work, maybe they like don't have families or whatever to take care of and they're like I am like putting my heart and soul into developing this thing. I'm going to stay like late at night and on weekends because this is what I want to do and this like makes me the better developer here for it. I really want to know like why they think that that makes them better. Like I really want to like ask them. <laughs> You know, just like why, like what, like clearly like your company doesn't care about you as like a, as a person, like they aren't investing in you. Like you aren't getting like a pension or anything. So like what, like, is it just like the game that you care about so much? Like, I want to know like what is actually going on in their head. It might be because they want to look better to their employer because they won't like back out on things and they're hoping that maybe they'll get like promotions or raises if others like. If if they, like, are really supportive of their employer, I think people just, some of them think that, like, they'll get something in return. Yeah, well, I guess that's true, but they won't. I know, I'm not saying know, they like, will. I'm saying they think, yeah. like, oh, if I, oh, if I just, oh, I'm going to be the company pet. They'll love me. Oh, yes. There's also a culture of, like, shaming, where, like, if someone weren't to put in the extra hours and stuff, it would be like, oh, who, why is this person even on our team? That's so sad. It's kind of like in the work world where it's like a boss asks somebody to stay like a few hours extra. It's like, it's weird. A lot of people think it's weird to say no, Mm -hmm. but it's like, if I ain't getting overtime, no, sorry, I'm going home. Yeah. Like if you aren't being like compensated for your time. Workers of the world unite. Let's rock. 
like they all need to organize. They all need to become a union. Okay, listen up, people out there working. Listen to us. We're going to tell you exactly yes. what you need to do. Oh, damn. I don't <laughs> have, my, I don't have my game union plan ready. <laughs> I need to quickly open a doc and just start typing one. You corporate shill. Damn. Wait, me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying things now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're going to be taking a short little break, and when we return, we will talk about Game of Thrones. Just Game of Thrones. That's up for you to figure out what we're going to say, and that's for us to discover what we're going to bring up. And we're back in black. We're going to be talking about the games. Is that funny? Hmm? Yeah. Damn. It is. Damn. But I'll tell you what's even more... Well, we're back. Hell yeah. We're going to talk about games we've been playing. So, what games have we been playing? We have been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands. Yes, we have. <laughs> Why are we doing this like this? Why are we doing this? Stop. I haven't been playing Ghost Recon Wildlands. Oh, we have not all been playing the game. Okay, Will and I have been playing Ghost Recon oh, Wildlands. Um... I think we we just got really hyped about Ghost Recon Breakpoint, and we remembered that we had an unfinished save in Ghost Recon Wildlands <laughs> yeah. to complete. And and it's been neat to go back to that game. I forgot how uh, how fun it was. It's the kind of game that like I would never play in single player, but with friends in multiplayer, it's it's a hoot. It's also it's interesting to be playing it now that I've played Assassin's Creed Origins because they feel like identical games now. Well, okay, they, in a lot of ways they feel very identical. Um, I, I would imagine these are the same game engines being used mm -hmm. and Ubisoft in these games, uh, like I, I can say that like they do a great job of making these environments may probably like the best in the business, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I feel that way. Their um, environments are great. Th it doesn't have the, uh, it, <laughs> it doesn't have the, the neat way quests are written. Of course. Um, it's just kind of like that Assassin's Creed has now. It's just kind of go kill some folks and we end up in we end up in several like far cry-esque situations where our objective is somewhere on a road which is like a high traffic npc area yeah and we get run into by like the cartel members as well as like the paramilitary force and they start fighting us and each other and it's like i just came here to like grab some health medication or something for some people and now I've like started a third world war in the middle of Bolivia. I just don't understand what it is with a lot of like these Ubisoft games where it's like they it's like they just don't want you to have moments of quiet. Yeah, like, they they don't do the the space well. Like they don't there aren't Breath of the Wild moments where you can wander the open world and just soak it in. Instead, it's just watch out these people are going to shoot you and then you escape them and then you get pulled into another conflict immediately i have the same issue i had with um far cry 5 where it's we're in rural montana where uh, a cult has taken control but that doesn't seem to be stopping millions of like civilians with backpacks and like suitcases who seem to be road tripping through the region it's like it's this weird disconnect because yeah bolivia it's like this narco state in the game yet economically it seems to be thriving there are thousands <laughs> of people on the roads everywhere assumably commuting to and from work there are cities all over the place in the supposedly rural region 
it, it, there's this big disconnect. Ubisoft games, the um, the Skull and Bones, the pirate game, oh, was delayed yeah. to 2020. I'm not which too is a surprised. Bummer. But yeah. then they also have three unannounced AAA games coming this year, and I'm really curious what those actually are. Splinter Cell. The rumor is no Splinter Cell. No. The, <laughs> no. the rumor is no Splinter Cell, and that it's going to be Far Cry 6 and Mario Rabbids 2. Well, Mario Rabbids 2 was received very well, so I guess that would make sense. Far Cry 6, though, it's just going to be the other Far Cries again. The Which rumor sense. is it's there's the a six, studio but... working on Far Cry 6, and there's a studio working on Far Cry 5.5, and I don't know what that means. What? I thought 5.5 was New Dawn. It was New Dawn. Was this going to be Newer Dawn? Newest Dawn? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what three unannounced Ubisoft games we're going to see this year, because like there aren't that many. One of them will probably be Watchmen, or Watch... Watch... Watchmen. <laughs> Watch Dogs 3, I would assume? Yeah, that would be a good guess. Um, we also played Imperator Rome. Yeah, the latest grand strategy game from Paradox. Um, it's been getting, uh, how should I put this, hammered in the Steam reviews quite harshly. Yeah, I was really surprised by the, yeah, at least the Steam like reviews. Mostly negative now, I think. Um, I thought that the like the the real reviews were 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 good. Yeah, the the reviews from reviewers were pretty high. Um. But yeah, from a lot of Steam reviewers, they're pretty, pretty negative. And I can kind of see where they're coming from. There's a lot of things here where it's, I mean, I guess it is a bit unfair to compare it to their other games like Crusader Kings 2 or Europa 4, which have had like five years of content added onto them, whereas Imperator just came out. But yeah, there are some issues I, I have with Imperator. On the whole, I'm liking it. Um, it reminds me a lot of Europa 4 at launch. In the sense that, and and Travis and I, we had we had played a uh, a match just last night, and uh, he had brought it up, and it's like Europa Four at launch, there was a lot of dead time where you just kind of sat around, and Imperator has like quite a bit of that, where after a war, after you do some restructuring in politics, you're kind of stuck just sitting around, and that's not something I really face in Europa Four now. That's not really something I do much of in Stellaris because I always feel like I have to be doing things on my planets and reorganizing and redesigning ships. Uh, Crusader Kings 2, it's all about characters, so I'm always kept busy with that. Emperor yeah, Rome, Stellaris, it, there's been so many big updates that added like all of these things for you to kind of fiddle around with. Yeah, I'm expecting Emperor Rome will get a lot of those updates too because I, I didn't like Stellaris too much when it came out, but now I think it's, it's pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I would expect Emperor Rome in a year or two to have like a lot of content and a lot of balancing out to make it like even better. I don't know if that'll fix the reviews, but I can see them going up in the future just a bit to maybe like mostly positive or mixed. I just, yeah, I, I, I don't find the, the metric on steam reviews to be a, a, a useful determinant anymore as to whether or not I would buy a game or be interested in, in a game. Yeah. I think for me, the game that really made me just like, disregard steam reviews for the most part not entirely because a lot of people in the steam reviews genuinely do care about what they're saying about a game but um you know reviews can't always be trusted on like whether or not you'll like it because of there's some games that have overwhelmingly positive reviews and i just can't stand them but a lot of the reviews for imperata rome that are negative are just people complaining about like the company's dlc policy 
and they don't even bring they up don't the have game. DLC out yet for this game. Uh, they don't. <laughs> we know they will, and that's what people yeah, are yeah. mad about. But th- that's not that's not the game. <laughs> they're complaining they're about, about things in the future. They're mad about DLC that doesn't exist. Like, they're, yeah, well, they're, they're mad they're, about something that isn't real yet. They're projecting what has happened in the past games onto the. I think they're projecting the idea of like they're looking at this game and thinking like there's they're like the problem you you just explained where like it feels like there's not enough to do yeah and they're expecting the company to try to cash in on like paid dlc that will add more things for you to do but also that's not how stellaris worked stellaris rolled out free updates along the way yeah stellaris is probably the best example of how they've like gone gone about doing their dlc and updating the game because europa 4 a lot of two features are tied to the DLC and it's just like, oh, you want to play the latest version of the game that is about ba- that's kind of balanced. You need all the DLC. You cannot play the base game. Whereas with Stellaris, even if you don't have the DLC, yeah, you don't get all of the features, but quite a lot of the changes are. Yeah, there they make very free. fundamental changes, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I I really love Stellaris and I like I haven't even picked up the latest DLC. Just because it was one of those things where it, it, I'll probably get it when it goes on sale, but it was one of those things where it was like, oh, this 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 new DLC is about like commerce, and that doesn't interest me too much, so I don't know that I want to drop twenty dollars on this uh, right now, at least. And with that with that DLC, they also launched this big fundamental update that added a lot of uh, economy focused stuff to the game. So you got that whether or not you bought the DLC. Um, and I don't know if that was the case with like Europa, because I wasn't really around for that. I don't know. I, I have very mixed feelings on Europa Four. <laughs> well, what did what was your takeaway from from what you've gotten to play of Imperator Romia? Yeah. Uh, on the whole, it rem- it's it's made as kind of a cross between Crusader Kings Two, which focuses on people, and Europa Four, which focuses on nations. It's a weird mix of the two. I think it's going to suffer. From that, its strengths come from that, but it also gets a lot of problems there because it doesn't do the things that Crusader Kings or Europa does as well. Um, I, I, on the whole, I like the game. I, I, the map is the best looking Paradox game map we've ever gotten. The character models are really cool. Instead of like being two D art assets or non existent, they are three D models that, like, if you have two characters marry, the child will share like the DNA of its parents. So it's uh, there's like a, there's some immersion there. Um, I feel the UI needs to be touched up. I feel some things are just a bit obtuse to interact with. There are some very important things that don't notify you that they, that they haven't been like fulfilled. Oh, like, yeah, there your nation can have multiple ideas. And if your ideas match uh, the category that your nation benefits from, you get a pretty powerful bonus. There is no alert about that. Uh, people but can there just... are alerts about stuff like this family is angry yeah there are alerts about a family of two people getting very pissed at you but there's no alert on like something that'll fundamentally change your future in like as a nation um oh, let's see what else uh i can say that with my history of paradox games i'll just quickly lay it out i i know you got me into crusader kings Mm-hmm. I played probably 60 hours of that game feeling like I didn't know what the fuck was going on. Um, Europa 4, I still don't know what's going on. <laughs> Hearts of Iron 4, I feel like I have an alright understanding of it, not as good as Crusader Kings 2. Hearts of Iron, there's like, I get the big picture now, but there's still like some systems that I'm very confused about. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
Europa or what is this game called? And then, <laughs> and then with Imperator Rome, I felt like uh, like starting it up like th- for the first time, going through the tutorial, I was just like, I understand this. Like I had played, I was recognizing systems from all their previous games, and I was like, I know what this does. This is this is very intuitive. Like I w- I was so surprised with how how little I was confused with Imperator, and I don't know if that says. I, I don't know if that speaks to how this game is designed or just to my history with their games. Mm-hmm. I would assume it's your history with their games because okay. you've played a lot of the others. And now when you look at like alterations of those systems, you can kind of go, oh, OK. So do you right. think if someone who had never touched one of these grand strategy games before picked up Imperator Rome, would they be more or less confused than Crusader Kings, for example? Oh, that's tough. Um... Yeah, it's hard to look at it objectively. It's, like, it's hard because I, I already know, it, I know I the system. I feel like my feel, my takeaway is like they they did a good job of like making this way more understandable. But also, maybe I've tricked myself because I've played all of their other games. Yeah, and also because I know Crusader Kings two better, and it has notifications for all sorts of things, and it makes sure that you're on top of as much as possible. But it also has so many systems and so many tooltips that like I don't know Imp- Imperator feels more accessible but it also doesn't alert you to important things in some cases so i i don't know i think that's yeah i can't give an answer to that although clearly i don't understand the game as well as i thought i did in the first hour because in our match at a certain point i was thrust into a civil war and before i could like finish panicking about it it had resolved itself and i still don't know what happened yeah um i i think Okay, so a problem I kind of have with Imperator Rome right now, um, I, I think maybe I just need to play the game more and just get used to it and see what changes they make in the future. Is it ha- characters are very important if you're in in your country. Like if you have a general who is disloyal and he has the army loyal to him, he might rise up in revolt. But unlike Crusader Kings two, this game isn't focused on characters. Mm-hmm. But it's not also entirely focused on just the running of the nation. So you have a country to run. But then you've also got characters and people that you need to keep track of, but they're not directly. I don't feel like they're intuitively tied into the running of the nation. Yeah. Like in Crusader Kings 2, if a duke, if you're a king and a duke really hates you and he gathers like people who might want to revolt, that's a huge thing because those titles are under your control. And if they raise up, they're going to take a large section of your land. You know, these characters because of their traits, you know, oh, this is that ambitious dwarf who did this one thing. I hate this guy. Imperator Rome, I don't really have a connection to the characters or the families because I'm playing the nation, not the characters. So when a general raises up and it says he's this guy's rival, I'm not playing that guy. So I don't really I, there's just a weird disconnect for me. I have Do a hard think, time. Can you nail down any like immediate things you would want to see them uh, fix or change in like the first big update? Um... I think navies need some work. Right now, it's just whoever has more ships wins, pretty much. Whereas on ground battles, there's a whole bunch of things like types of troops, morale, and discipline. There's some of that for the navies, but that's lacking. I'd like to see that fleshed out. I'd like to see some more interactions with characters. I don't want this game to go to to become a Crusader Kings ancient times or something, but Mm -hmm. I feel I would like a few more options for character interactions. Um, 
Yeah, I I can't think of too many things. Maybe like I found the 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 government screen funny because there's like eight people you can assign to these roles, but you, unlike Crusader Kings, you can't really send them on jobs. They just kind of sit there passively. Yeah, and uh, when playing as a Republic, you have a Senate to deal with. I never, I very rarely felt like that mattered too much. When there's elections, you'll get like a a ruler who has a higher bonus to a certain type of point, a, a mana point or whatever you get. But I never felt like the politics system was that big of a deal. The worst I would get is like a governor had a minus zero point one. No, 0.01 to his loyalty because he was part of a different faction. But I don't know. I just never. I don't know. I feel like there's some systems here that aren't super intuitive or they just don't make me care about them very much. Compared to like Europa or Crusader Kings. Wait, so what system would this be then that they would be? Oh, I would I would just like some changes to maybe republics. I feel Uh, like I need to. I want the the politics of a nation to be a little more important. Because right now it just feels like this vague thing where, uh oh, the military faction is in power, but you're playing the nation. So you are in power always and you just kind of get changes to your bonuses. I don't know. I'm I I feel like I said earlier, the game has this we it's a mix of Crusader Kings 2 and Euro before, and it doesn't do the things that those two games focus on as well as either of them. Mm hmm. And I think it just, I don't know, I'd like to see it do some different things. I don't know, carve out a space for itself. But right now, it just feels like a like a bastard child of these two games that have already been like oh no. touched are, up are, and kind of perfected. Are we the people complaining about the post-launch content? Indeed, we are. That's exactly what we're doing. Paradox, if you hear me, I want to go pro guys? in the Rome circuit. <laughs> are we the baddies? <laughs> do you think that like in the DLC, they'll like bring in both? Like bits of both, like Europa or Crusader Kings, into. I wouldn't be surprised because I bet, like right now, there are like groups in like the Paradox game community that are like, this game would be better if it was more like Crusader Kings. And then there's a lot of others saying, no, it'd be better if it was more like Europa. So it'll go in one of those directions, I feel. And I don't think. Do you think it could go in both directions and then just like people can choose like which DLC that they want to like, you know, utilize? I don't think they'd do that. I think if if it does go in, in both directions, it it would be them like fleshing out the systems that they've got to make sure that you do play as the nation and enjoy that, but also care about the characters in your nation. I feel yeah, DLCs or updates would probably f- flesh those two features out so that way you're getting like a uh, you're you're getting more good parts of the those other two games in this one i feel mm-hmm. i'm not sure because i mean it, it only just came out like at the end of last month but we'll see yeah hell yeah hell I'm yeah excited to see i'm excited to see what imperator rome does along Indeed. the way because i came to most of these games very late i guess exception of like stellaris and imperator rome and imperator rome that's what that's what I said. That's... Oh, oh, whoops. I'm, I'm spacing out over here, everybody. I'm freaking out. I'm losing uh, my mind. Uh, real quick, I, I wrapped up Spider-Man, The City That Never Sleeps, the, the <laughs> DLC. Um, and I've, al- I've already talked about Spider-Man just a little bit. I really enjoy the way that game 
does its own spin on the Spider-Man mythos and tells a story. That, that's a game that I play 100% for the story. Like, that's the one thing that is selling the game to me. Um, as well as, like, I mean, all the in-game mechanics are really good. Like, the combat and the swing, but, I mean, the, um, the story is really what I'm looking forward to, especially in the DLC content, because they play out kind of like little TV episodes, sort of. So there's these, so there's three DLC episodes, and I found it really neat to just play like shorter, more focused stories, um, rather than like, like the the like the twenty plus hour story of the base game is all well and good, but I there was something about like getting to look forward to the next DLC episode to find out like what happens next that really engaged me as odd as that sounds since there's only three episodes but I wrapped that up and then I did some map clearing there wasn't I, I felt I, I felt somewhat empty because there the, I had cleared the map basically except for like random encounters and then I found myself really wanting the next Spider-Man game which has not been confirmed yet I wonder if we'll see that at E3 although no, because Sony's not at E3, so maybe we won't see that at E3. I don't know. I also started up um, The Last of Us, and I thought, like, I'll play a few hours of this, and I ended up playing, like, four or five hours of it, because it was just that engaging. But I'll just, like, circle around on that uh, next week after I've played it more and have more thoughts on it, I guess. All right, um, our final topic of the night, I guess. Well... It is, <laughs> we are recording this on Saturday, and I have a lot of anticipation for tomorrow night, and it's, uh, it's series finale of Game of Thrones, and we're going to sit down and talk about Game of Thrones as a whole, um, next week after the series finale, and we'll post that episode next week after we record it, um, but I found... It just really interesting to see the really vocal reactions to season eight, episode five over the course of the past week with everyone saying like they had Danny burn down the city, but it was really unmotivated. You disagree with that? Yeah. Or is that what you think? Well, both. <laughs> I'm just, I'm really confused by the way that fans have responded. Like, regardless of, of whether or not I think the writing is good, I think the fan response has been really odd. I was sort of surprised that there was more sort of, like, negative, like, vocal, like, negative, like, feedback for this episode than there was about the, like, episode three Cause like that one was the one that I was just like super upset by. And mm -hmm. so like, I don't know. I felt like, yeah, Danny just like going crazy on King's landing sort of like came out of nowhere in this season mm -hmm. and just like, wasn't really like given like an adequate like incubation time. Like there was just, it just sort of like, just like happened sort of like a lot like required us to like lean on like past foreshadowing of her just like burning her enemies for no reason. I genuinely think a lot of the problems people are having is just from pacing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, this last season is moving so fast. I'm not saying like 
we should have kept the show going for another five seasons, but uh, another some more episodes to give things more time. Like, the same events that they have here happening, but just more time for each thing to get a little fleshed out. I mean, there would still be people upset, but I, I think a lot of the complaints are... The, the basis for them is just the pacing. I think some of it is people extrapolating their own assumptions of how the TV industry works onto mm -hmm. the length of the seasons with, like, saying, like, oh, like HBO just wanted to, like, wrap it up, or, like, David uh, and Dan wanted to just wrap it up um, so that they could move on to the next thing or whatever. And I... <laughs> Like, I feel like this show definitely picks up the pace. Like, I'm not going to argue with that, of course. It's just a fact. But I also feel like a lot of people maybe, like, just became so used to the pacing in the past seasons that when the show made, like, a dramatic change in how fast things are going, it just kind of threw everyone off and they couldn't keep up with it. I feel like the pacing really changed in the last season, though. You know, where, like, all of a sudden, John was above the wall, and then he was, like, back in Dragonstone, and then, like, you know, like, that went back and yeah, forth. Yeah, like, like I feel like they've condensed people moving about, but also they've already spent so many seasons setting up the world that it wouldn't really make any sense to show, to, like, focus on people traveling back and forth anymore. And also, but is, like... But is, is that what those focus on? No, no, I mean, like, is that what... It's not just people moving. That's not what that's not what's being really cut out. People move. Yeah, of course they do. But they have conversations along the way. Like right. there's there's detail yeah. there. It's not just we're not just watching somebody walk from one castle to another. It's sort of like losing this like character development in favor of these like really sort of like these like touching moments or these like really epic battle scenes. Yeah. Like to me it feels kind of like the third act of a Hollywood film where they've done a lot of setup in the beginning of the film and now it's just kind of like a lot of action scenes. Mm -hmm. And I don't really know how I feel about that, but I, 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 I guess I don't have as strong feelings about the pacing as most people seem to. Like, I definitely agree with, with that sentiment. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that that's the core problem that's happening here. I think it's just kind of a focus issue where mm -hmm. they can spend a lot of time in one episode focusing on, like, like building up to the Battle of Winterfell, for example, I, when I feel like a lot of that time could have been used to dive more into the dynamics between some of the characters, like John and Danny, yeah, rather than, like, showing I... people preparing for the battle. Like, even the scenes at the like fireplace like that last one is really nice but there's like three of those and two of them didn't need to happen <laughs> yeah it was just like Tormund being like so awkward i wanted to die they call yeah. me giant's bane <laughs> do you Ooh. know why i suck giant titty it's like okay this is great fantastic <laughs> thank you don't need this but my favorite <laughs> um, response has been people saying like oh this is this is how i'll remember danny and it's like a picture of her being lifted up by all the people of marine that yeah i feel like i don't know i feel like i'm most disappointed with the with sort of like danny's character and just like how the hand like the show has handled danny just mm -hmm. like the whole show um and I just really wish that, like, they had, you know, like, even just, like, a couple, like, lines here and there about just, like, her, tr like, learning. 
about, you know, like imperialism and just like going in and like taking over these cities um, and then like not working very well and just having like, I don't know, people being upset with her because I feel like the same thing happened when she came to Winterfell and she was like, oh, nobody hates me or like N nobody hates me. Everyone hates me. Nobody likes me. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I just, I, but like, you know, like that's, I, I just feel like that, that ha she has experienced that like every single place she's gone and, you know, was able to like overcome it or was able to, you know, burn everybody else. And I just feel like that was kind of like, it was just like her kind of like doing the same thing over and over again. And there was just no sort of like new development. There was no like sort of complexity, like in that sort of like character arc. Um, and then I just feel like she was kind of like set up to fail in this season where like she, you know, like she knew that she was crazy sometimes and she like surrounded herself with people who were smart and then all of a sudden the people who were smart became really stupid <laughs> and then she's like well now i can't listen to you so now i have to be crazy and i just feel like that's so like unsatisfying and it doesn't like really make any sense except for except to get to the point where she burns king's landing you know mm -hmm. like i just feel like i can see like i can see through the the storytelling to like the end point more than i can yeah. see like the development does that kind of make sense yeah the reason yeah i mean for me, the reason I kind of brought up that pacing issue is like, it reminds me a lot of HBO's Rome. Um, that show, I think they thought they were going to get four seasons, but then HBO said the second was going to be their last. So the second season feels very familiar to like this and season seven, kind of, where a lot of things are happening. And I just feel like suddenly things are just happening because they need to happen for the next thing. And there's mm -hmm. not any time to, I mean, there's groundwork that has been laid in the previous season, but now they're really having to go all in because they, they, they just, they need it to happen. And it reminds me a lot of uh, Rome season two in like pacing, like w the scope of things that are happening. Does Rome season two jump to like important plot points like Game of Thrones is doing? Yeah, kind of. Uh, the time scale is also like rapidly sped up. Mm. like um a, a young character who's introduced in the first season uh is in the second season and he's a grown man i believe that might happen at the end of the first but then an entire massive conflict and uh a bunch of character plot like storylines are very quickly hurried up in the episodes it goes by real quickly compared to the first season like in the first season they might have spent like an episode or two just like bumming around a town talking about like some politics stuff and dealing with like the big Roman civil war that's going on between Caesar and Pompey. And then season two, it's like we might get half of an episode devoted to that, but it's going to move real, real, real quickly. Yeah. And it's 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 hitting all the same points, but just the pacing of it does. There's not a lot of time to breathe. And I think there, there just needed to be a little more time to lay out some stuff. But yeah, it just it's it for me, it seems very familiar to. This, these seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I think looking back on it, like after the finale, I think, and also thinking of it in terms of an adaptation of Martin's work, like I think thematically it's going to stick all of its landings, and that's where I, that's where I, I, I feel like all of the people who 
have made comments about like this feels very out of character for Danny have missed a lot of the point of the, his work. Yeah. Which is like I definitely feel he, that he too. takes the fantasy genre and he just subverts so much of it like mm-hmm. the the idea of heroes and villains gets subverted. It's not to say that like oh we have to subvert all the tropes to have a good story, but he um is able to take things in in you know a direction that you maybe have been led on to think is going to happen like Jon Snow is the hero or like uh Danny is is the is the hero in this case and then is able to bring you back into his like morally gray world of Westeros where mm-hmm. things are just not that clear cut and they are in like the legends right but it's also like those are those are legends kind of like in the mm-hmm. real world how we have stories like Star Wars about heroes and also- yeah also with like game of thrones like i believe martin has said it like he's it's just based on like histories like european histories right and like with history yeah there are like people who might be better than another but there's not really a good guy yeah like you can't look at point at someone and go he's the protagonist of history right (laughs) that's not a thing Mm -hmm. whereas which is yeah which is like within fantasy it's like oh yeah frodo baggins and aragorn yep (laughs) they're the good yep Mm mm-hmm Whereas, you know, in the histories and like Game of Thrones, it's they have their goals. Of course they do. People have their goals and objectives and we're along for the ride, but they are not like paragons of virtue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, f- I find it really refreshing, like amidst the backdrop of like a, a, like a like a Hollywood popcorn film that always puts like a nice bow on the ending or even like just like ideas like joseph campbell's the hero's journey right and how so many works have adapted that model is like Mm -hmm. i don't know people get these lines of thinking where where (laughs) where it's like a show has to have like the the hero is called to his adventure whatever and he has a mentor and then he ends up in a dark place and then he Mm -hmm. overcomes it and it's like i'm so fucking tired of this (laughs) like i know exactly where this is going and in this show i have no idea where things are going at this point Mm -hmm. and i i I, i'm really glad for that aspect of it kind of going back to what you said um a little bit ago about just game of thrones being an adaptation of um germs like work yeah um, I felt like this episode, I was able to really like see sort of like George R. R. Martin's like themes at play. And I feel like those are really sort of like missing in every other single, like every single other episode this season mm-hmm. where I was just like, they were just like trying to like, you know, be shocking or, you know, like pull the rug out from under people or, you know, just like have these like, you know, sort of like epic moments and like touching sort of like real moments also but i just felt like a lot of the sort of like driving force had been had been lost you know because like i I don't know i just feel like i'm gonna complain about season three or episode three again (laughs) it just felt like there was just not it just didn't feel like the stakes were high enough even though like the stakes were like literally as high as they could go i just felt like there was not um, like it didn't have any like sort of like material consequences for with the characters, mm-hmm. except I guess Danny losing Jorah, you know, and maybe that was a trigger for her like I don't know breakdown in this last episode. But I also found 
episode three really interesting because like as of not seeing the just the finale yet uh the it concludes with kind of this idea that the white walker threat didn't really have any far-reaching consequences other than the immediate yeah, exactly. ones and that the night king was just a guy who could be taken down by a special weapon and i find that really interesting because george R. R. martin doesn't have the night king in his books and he talks about how in his world there's no like heroes and villains and there's not an evil that's just pure evil like sauron in the lord of the rings mm -hmm. there's no like evil just for the sake of evil and since he hasn't really introduced since he hasn't introduced like this iteration of the night king in his books I'm really curious whether he's going to or whether this is something that the show kind of just invented and then wasn't quite sure what to do with and wrote themselves into a really bad corner where they had to do the Battle of Winterfell and have him struck down by a dagger or by a spear. Mm -hmm. So that part of of the show to me feels really tonally inconsistent with the themes that Martin has established for so long it just feels so out of place now mm -hmm. and then i feel like you have like the first half of the season where it's it's definitely it feels definitely like like a sort of like a class like a classic like high um fantasy like action sort of movie yeah, where it's, just it's like you know like epic heroes yeah exactly and then you know and i feel like we were kind of expecting that and i kind of was expecting that and then i was also sort of expecting sort of this complex, you know, Game of Thrones-ness to happen. And so, like, I was always going to be disappointed. And then, um, and then we sort of just get, like, thrown back into, like, Martin's world again, where, like, you know, Jamie sort of, like, regresses his whole character arc in, like, a single moment. And, um, you know, Danny decides to just commit terrible war crimes on, again, like, on, like, a, the turn of a dime. But... Quick question, kind yeah. of going, not really related to that that point you just ended on, but okay, I, I can't remember because I haven't really rewatched uh, a lot of the show. Um, okay, so there's the Night King, and then there's the other White Walkers. What is the origin of them? Is that um the 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 infants that um uh, that Craster leaves out? Is that who they are? Or is that yeah? Okay, that's who they are. I think are. that's I think that's what's implied. Yeah. Okay. Okay, interesting. Because, yeah, when Travis mentioned that, yeah, like, the Night King is not really in Martin's work in the way he is in, like, the show. Mm -hmm. Because in, like, the books and stuff, and, like, the legends, there's, like, the Night's Queen. Who is yeah, he's in figure. the legends, but there's no Knight's King as there is in the show who is walking yeah, around like the, the big baddie leading and staring them. down Jon Snow. Yeah, so I'm mm -hmm. just curious. So, like, yeah, in the books, then, that would mean, like, the, the White Walkers have a very different origin and role. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah and it's still really unknown. Yeah, yeah in the which books. is yeah, it's pretty cool. And it's like, I don't know. I was just I had was just trying to put together this stuff and going like, okay, well, wait a minute, hang on, let me think about this. Okay. Yeah, I mean, if 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 he, like, if he remains true to a lot of the stuff that he's been like preaching over time in interviews and stuff about like in in his like he doesn't he doesn't see value in like evil for the sake of evil in 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 his stories. Um, I can't see anything like the Night King actually being formulated in the books. So it's just such a, 
it's just such a weird thing to see happen in in the show, especially now knowing how it how it all ends. Like I gave it the benefit of the doubt, of course, for for many seasons. Like I was really like excited to see where all this would go and like how like like what spin does Martin put on this kind of ultimate evil that's very Game of Thrones like, and it never came about in the show. Um, so I, I feel like there was either a big disconnect or it was just something that like the show wanted to do for its very specific show audience, knowing that like, mm-hmm. it wasn't something that would ever happen in the books. Anything else to talk about? No. <laughs> I feel like I'm just thinking. Yeah. That's um, all I'm just yeah like... I've been doing a lot of thinking as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we, we need to record the next Game of Thrones epi- uh, podcast episode, like right after the episode yeah you're right, right. It's yeah. All like i mean i right guess we can head. i mean i don't know i'm driving back home so i'm gonna be like really late but on monday i'm or, yeah we're driving back tomorrow oh, oh did yeah monday right is that's yeah, when monday. we're gonna record yeah i that's... guess when you said like oh we were gonna record right after I no oh yeah thinking, i did like, I meant, literally like, right as after close right up yeah not like right right after Thank you for joining us this week on Hit Point Pals. Next Tuesday, we will be releasing a special little episode where we recap the Game of Thrones finale. And Game of Thrones, the show as a whole. Just general reflections, I guess. Indeed, and I have no doubt we're going to have a lot to say. I hope so. (laughs) Oh yeah, I imagine I will. But don't forget to subscribe to our feed and tune in next week for a brand new episode of the Hit Point Pals proper you can find all of our episodes on the web at hitpointpals.com and you can find us on twitter with the handle at hitpointpals if you do feel so inclined drop by in in tunes oh whoa i'm in another dimension right now if you do feel so inclined drop by itunes and leave us a review and if you're enjoying our weekly chats all we ask is that you help spread the word about our show and that's all for this week i'm your host big suit you're in a you're in a Berenstein Bears dimension where it's Intunes instead of iTunes. <laughs> I'm in another dimension. Oh shit! Whoa! I know how to go out. Everyone, drop your wildest season f- or series finale theory that y- you think is plausible. Oh no! This is the your last is chance go- to do it. The show is going even... to end with Tyrion crying about the fact he can't make eunuch jokes anymore. Dude. Oh no! He can't. He'll start making eunuch jokes about Grey Worm. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh no. We'll get a close-up of Tyrion and it'll say, how am I going to make fun of someone without a cock? That'll, that, that's, that's how it's going to end. I, you heard it All here right. first. Fair enough. Oh, I have no idea. I feel like I had a lot of expectations and they've just sort of like been lost. I don't know. I hope that I want Sansa to end up on the Iron Throne. I don't know how likely it is, but I guess that's what I want. Like, even though there's no ceiling there? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I can very easily see Arya leaving Westeros for good, just getting on a boat and sailing away. I don't think she'll yeah. die. I think she'll just leave. That's That's... That's my most plausible theory. That I bet. Oh, sorry. Um, keep going. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. I was just gonna say that's I, my that's my most plausible theory that isn't super focused on like oh John John kills Danny or Danny rules or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I'm I'm expecting 
just would drop a stack of papers. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this poster just fell down. Oh. <laughs> it, like, Dang. Spooky. Scared me a lot. Wow. It's the ghost of Hall. Oh, no. Yeah, it is. No. Oh, no. I wouldn't be surprised if John kills Danny and then I don't know where it'll go from there. I feel, I hope, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. But I also wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't. I mean, I, that's my yeah, way of saying I have like no clue of what's going to happen, which is why I'm super excited for the next episode. Uh, I, just, just, I really want a lot of payoff. Like, I want all the things that, like, I have been thinking about <laughs> to just be resolved. And I, that's not true. Like, that's not going to happen. But Like, oh well. as a concept, I expect... So, this is kind of a this is kind of a cop out theory because it's probably like almost entirely going to happen. But I expect something to be mentioned or show up that's just not going to be resolved, and it's going to be an eternal cliffhanger that's going to be slightly frustrating, but also yeah. in like a very Game of Thrones way, where like you, it, it'll be like the one of the big questions people still have when after the show is is wrapped up is like, what the heck was that talk about like? dragons under the ground or something uh-huh yeah and i can't can't wait to see what the subreddits will have to say of people being very angry that not everything was answered i feel like it'll just fuel even more fan fiction oh wow more petitions oh god <laughs> so stupid <laughs> just read fan fiction that's all you need 